last week on Lore Seekers. The great Cal Grantide, suck it, Chad, I nailed it. And his followers hunt from the skies and threaten to burn down the ancestral home of the Khajiits. You're on a roll tonight, actually. Dude, we get to go to elsewhere, like full-blown elsewhere. Not just like Reaper's March elsewhere, we get to go to elsewhere. Yeah. I cannot wait. I don't know, what do you think? I'm like, do you have enough time? I don't know, what do you think? Do you think we have enough GPS? And then invariably somebody just goes, F it! (laughs) Hits the button, reads the scroll, we all get a whiteout headache. And all of a sudden, we're doing hard work. Yep. That's how it's going to happen. Because that's what happens almost every time in Lore Seekers Guild. <laughs> Greetings, travelers. Welcome to the Lore Seekers podcast. Grab an ale and join our two adventurers as they share their tales of misadventure in the land of Tamriel. Here they are at their usual table. Jibs and cash. Okay. Good gracious. Cold out there. This can't get comfortable. It's too cold. I don't like it. For sure. What is going on lately? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, But it's been awful. I know that much. It's been cold. Yeah. Yeah. And you know... um... I understand that you had some things taken out of your head. It can't, the cold weather cannot be helping with your recovery. No, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. But hang on, we'll get to that in just a second. I, I think, yep, there she is. What can I get you, boys? Oh, gosh. You know what? Bourbon. Bourbon. Let's just, bottles of bourbon. Let's go with that. We'll just <laughs> just start there and see where we end up. Jeez, you're going to pee your pants by the time we're done. <laughs> I'm going to have a mead with juniper berries. I'm going to start slow, m'lady. Slow. Mm, okay. Right okay. Up. Okay. Oh, good gracious. Okay. All right. So, yes. It's been freezing here in the good old state of Indiana, okay? Like, yeah. yesterday's high was one with a wind chill of negative 30. Oh. And uh, I think it's gotten to the point where it's affected the internet because I know we had to cancel the stream. Like, the, the just weird stuff was happening that just couldn't account for anything normal. But uh, I, I think I would rather floss with barbed wire. Yeah. Than have to sit in negative thirty degree temperatures. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty awful. I mean, there's there's really no way around it. But um. Yeah. So yeah, I had my wisdom teeth taken out. On Monday. Yes, you did. Yeah, that was awful. Um, and so that's been going on. It's kind of weird, though. Like, you, you kind of go through these weird these weird feelings. Like, one of them is uh, apparently there, a side effect is a lot of hiccups. So I was getting a lot of hiccups going on. And then, like, today I was tasting things I hadn't had in years, like pineapple. Like, I've, I haven't had pineapple in at least two years. And I'm smelling it and I'm tasting it. That's because you had pieces of that same pineapple stuck up up behind your teeth, and it's finally coming out. Oh, oh yeah. Well, that makes sense. Maybe that's why I had to get rid of. <laughs> yeah. What about those bouts of crying you were having too? Remember when you were texting me? You're like, I, I can't. It's uncontrollable crying right now. I don't know why. Mm. An emotional mm-hmm. thing you had going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't say I recall that, but uh, yeah. mm. don't get your wisdom teeth out, people. It's terrible. <laughs> what kind of stuff happens to you? 
Oh, so what have you been up to, man? Uh, I have had the uh, last week of the month has been it's it's made it. The last week has been so bad. It's made it the month from hell for me. Really, that bad? It started off so good. Yeah, well, I had uh, this class that I had to take. I'm, I'm going to be doing some instructing at a local college. So mm-hmm. um, I had to take a class in order to finish up some certifications for that. And uh, that class has absolutely abalonied my time all week. That means sucked mm-hmm. all of my time for the week. So even like coming home after, you know, eight, nine hours in a classroom sucks. So I get home, kiss my family, they're going to bed and I have enough time to like log on, click the daily or claim the daily reward and go to sleep. Right. Right. Uh, and we all know how I get when I don't get my ESO fix. I get very grumpy, get very angsty. Yes. And that's, what happened for the whole past week hmm. so anyway i'm back though well i'm glad you're back, back to work yeah back to work a little game time back mm-hmm. home got a little game time mm-hmm. um so things are good and there's been a lot of listening to podcasts and research this week a ton a lot of writing and a lot of research we have a jam-packed show dude yeah jam-packed. yeah we got a lot we got a lot in fact we should just we should probably just jump in are you ready <laughs> I am. Well, the funny part is I'm totally ready to do this, as was I the last three times we attempted to record this show. I know. I know. It's been the scamps have eaten the wiring. I guess. I don't don't even know. Yeah, we had to cancel the the normal live show we normally would do. And uh, I have I have no recollection or reason as to why this was happening i'm just attributing it to the arctic cold it's the only thing that's changed this week so that's... yeah there is a scamp somewhere laughing his butt off about flicking us both in the nutsack tonight because that's go. exactly what happened there you go all right well everybody welcome this is the lord seekers podcast episode 11 of volume 3 we are your hosts i am jibs and i'm joined by cash we're talking racial passive changes tonight, buddy. Yeah, buddy. It's, I'm actually glad that we waited a little bit to talk about it. And um, I'll just kind of throw this out there real quick. I've been doing a lot of research. Uh, some of the other shows have done some really good, good shows on racial passives with some really incredible players. Mm-hmm. Uh, know has been on a couple of them. And um, Kyle Dempster and the Tenants Podcast had a really, really good show on the intricacies of all these racial passives. So I'm taking what I've learned because I I definitely learned. I learned from OTR and I learned from Kyle's show. Um, I'm going to be, when we have our discussion, I think it's going to be a little bit broader spectrum and there's going to be a little bit more uh, reaction from the community, I think is how we're going to handle it. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to take ours from a lower perspective. Absolutely. We'll go over it when we're ready. Mm -hmm. We'll be there. We'll be there. Yeah, we got a lot. We got a lot of stuff to go to. Anyway, all right. Well, let me find my pack. Hang on. <sighs> okay. Well, uh, you know, last week on the show, there was definitely no shortage when it came to uh, content because, you know, elsewhere, dragons, all the things, right? Well, uh, this week on the show, 
so yeah, last week elsewhere dragon. This week on the show, we're talking depths of Malatar, racial passive changes, uh, a very special lore lesson, and we're answering some emails. But um, so this week, by the way, quick tip: tomorrow, or actually, if you're listening on release day, ESO Live is happening tonight. I think it's at six p.m. EST. I think. Um, yes. I, I don't remember. Oh, it is? Okay. Um, so what we will do, we're not going to cover it here on the show for obvious reasons. I mean, can't. I mean, we're not, we don't have a time machine yet. We, haven't got, we don't have the gigawatts. It has. You don't forget to put the crystals in. <laughs> we don't have all the gigawatts and we can't go at eight miles an hour yet. So that's right. Uh, we will, anything that's major, you know, covering or um, any kind of major development, we'll cover uh, next week on the next episode of Lore Seekers. Ooh. But, uh, Buddy, she gave me whiskey. That Ooh. is not mead. Ooh, she knows that she... is straight up bourbon. I think she saw the look in my face. Yeah, and said, "I'm bringing him bourbon too." So, <laughs> cross the bar. I can see her cross the bar. Cheers, my love. That is good bourbon. Oh, that's Very awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, so anyway, let's go. Let's start here. So we got Depths of Malatar. This is coming to us from ESO official. Face Meridia's minions within the depths of Malatar. So we do this just about every time that they're, uh, you know, that they're doing um, a new D- DLC release. Which honestly, this seems frequent, and that's good. <laughs> I feel like we're doing these previews more often than other MMOs are in their oh, release schedule. No doubt. I feel so spoiled to be able to to do this. You know what I mean? So. Agreed. Anyway, backstory on this. Centuries ago, an Imperial expedition uncovered the lost alien city of Garlas Malatar and built Fort Mistwatch within the ruins entrance. While the fort was intended to protect the Imperials as they looted the city below, a sinister power was uncovered by the expedition, resulting in the loss of an entire cohort along with knowledge of the ruins entrance. What they found buried deep within the ancient site and their ultimate fate were made a mystery until now. Ooh. So, yeah. What in the... Uh, <laughs> I had to mute. I had to mute that. Anyway, uh, so quick note. Veteran <laughs> Scrolls players might already be familiar with the site of Maltar if they played the Elder Scrolls Online for Oblivion and the dungeon from the original game. All right, I have to pause for a second. Something happened off air, folks. That you... That He's I, right in the middle of the description and belts out the longest burp. And I didn't know that he muted his mic. All I hear is this long burp. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm God, so I think sorry. I smelt that. Oh, I'm so oh. sorry. I'm just, it's just, it smells like man, pepperoni. It's just, this, you know, having this, the, the wisdom teeth out has been freaking weird. Oh, on my body. I am full of medications right now. I, I don't even. I don't even know, man. I'm just I'm here. Yeah. I smelt it on the on the West Coast, bro. It <laughs> smells like rotting flesh. <laughs> smells like a hot hot necromancer. All right. So anyway, uh, never a dull moment. Oh gosh. All right. So anyway, quick note on Depths of Malatar. If you're a veteran of Elder Scrolls, you're gonna 
you're going to feel a little bit at home here. You might be familiar with the the site of Malatar, actually, because uh, the Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion, the dungeon and the original game served as inspiration for the team when they built the depths of Malatar and ESO. Dungeon Mike Finnegan said, quote, We actually borrowed quite a bit from Oblivion's dungeon before making adjustments to fit our story. There's even a boss fight that is very similar to the one that's in the original game. End quote. So it's in the vein, it's in the very same location, approximately 800 years before the hero of Kavach comes to this part of Cyrodiil, which you must explore. Man, that's cool, dude. Wow. That's very cool. That almost makes me want to load up Morrowind. You have Oblivion? Almost. I said, or oh, Oblivion. Mm-hmm. I said, oh. mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> I'm totally right there with you, 100%. Uh, all right, so here's some more details on it. In order to venture deep into the heart of Malatar, you must first... By the way, I'm going to be reading a lot of this verbatim. I don't want to miss anything, and I don't want you to miss anything. So just buckle up. we got a couple paragraphs to go through, and then we're going to be chit-chatting here. In order to venture deep into the heart of Malatar, you must first get past those who came before Empowered Imperial soldiers kept alive and strengthened by Meridia herself guard stone pathways and fortifications. However, it's not just ageless Imperials who await you. This part's the interesting part. Monstrous Daedric beasts also guard the way, hungry to feast on unaware adventurers and bringing a unique challenge for you and your group. Quote, most of our boss fights involve fairly open, flat spaces for players to move around. But we wanted to do something different with the first boss fight in Depths of Malatar. This explains Finnegan. This creature is stalking you through a warehouse-type area full of shelving and boxes, and you have to navigate the landscape as much as deal with the mechanics. Finding the boss and navigating that space makes for a fun and scary fight unlike anything we've done before. End quote. Hmm. Interesting. Wow, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like how they're kind of starting to branch out. Like, we had that with, um, what was it? Uh, werewolf. Um, wolf Hunter. Wolf Hunter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Norman. For sure. Yeah, there were, um, there were some really cool mechanics in that one. Um, and then, actually, the way that you get the um, Wolf Hunter memento is a really cool addition to that dungeon. So I like that they're adding in things like that, that just add more challenge and more mystery to the dungeons. I agree, 100%. I like because they're still pushing the envelope, you know? Like, what, this is our fifth year, and five years of ESO, and um, they're, not, no it's not, they're not comfortable, you know? They're still pushing. I like that. Right, exactly. Still pushing. So for gear... All right, if we conquer the depths of Malatar, we got some new rewards. Okay, new gear sets. Obviously, they're dropped by the bosses. One of those being, and we got a little screenshot here, it's called Aurorans Thunder. This is the light set. Uh, yeah, if you are a fan of, what was his name from the main quest of Somerset? Do you remember? Um, the the, the Merid- Meridia's... Or whatever the heck her name was. Her oh, the Golden Knight. The Golden, the Golden Knight. Knight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is kind of reminiscent of the Golden Knight, in a way. Yeah. Um, all Everything right. Everything's gold. Yeah, exactly. It's, it looks very Altmer, mm-hmm. but it is really a good-looking set. It looks like it'd probably die really well, too. Yeah. This looks very ancient. Like, this has... 
I love the fact that they kind of throw in the whole nod to Oblivion because I see a lot of the way Oblivion was styled. If you go back and look at like Elven broadswords from screenshots of Oblivion, like the the marketing pieces, you're going to see that here. So like it kind of has that same vibe. So I don't know if that was intended or not, but they did a really good job capturing Oblivion in this set. Oh, yeah. So it's this cool. this is a uh, really unique set, the Aurora's Thunder. For two pieces, you get health, three spell damage, four spell pin, but five. Five's interesting one. So when you damage a nearby enemy with a single target ability, you summon a cone of lightning from your chest for three seconds, dealing 1,200 shock damage every 0.5 seconds to enemies in the cone. This effect can occur every six seconds. So that's, what, 1,300 times three? 3900ish. No, every 0.5 seconds. So it's uh yeah, every half second mm-hmm. for 3 seconds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. That's basically 6 ticks of 1285. Mhm. That's yeah. not bad. Oh, oh it's well, what? Yeah, 20 uh, 2300. Yeah, so 4600 mm-hmm. roughly ish. It's not bad. Which is huge. No. Nope. Yeah, it's not huge, but if it can happen every 6 seconds, that's pretty good. Yeah, so, interesting. It's interesting set. It's it's a really good set for casters, obviously, because you get spell damage and spell pen. Right. But it also gives you health. So for your sets where you're stacking magicka, so you have a big old fat magicka pool. This really helps because typically your health is low on those uh, builds. So right. Twelve oh six, not too bad for extra health. Yeah. Yeah, no, I take it. I like. I love. I think more than anything, I love the way it looks. Very ornate, very ancient, very elvish. Looks right. cool. Uh, Let's just ignore my bad math, by the way. Okay. Yeah, I was kind of. I felt like that was a little lower, but we'll just we'll just keep. <laughs> well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to like go overboard. I wanted people to kind of get a little bit excited about it, and then blammo, it's it's more than we originally said. <laughs> Extra excitement. Yeah. No, I just suck at math. Okay, yeah, me too. Uh, all right, so for the monster sets, in addition to new gear, we're getting new monster sets. Uh, one we're talking about here, you can acquire the Symphony of Blades monster mask. Man, that's a cool name. When the, you know that brings me back to Blades, um, uh, Fable, the first Fable. Oh, uh, nice pull. Oh, thank you. Um, when combined with the shoulders, which is obviously acquired from an Undaunted chest. This set gives your heals to low health allies an additional boost to their primary resource. Now, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. wonder how many people actually use that in their set. I'd like that a lot. Finally. See how much of a boost you get. Mm, yeah, that's true. Finally, if you complete the Depths of Malatar on veteran difficulty, you'll receive the Meridian Purified Skin. Giving your character the shining vis- vis- visage of the Lady of Infinite Energies. <laughs> That's like my wife, the Lady of Infinite Energies. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! So Jesus. yeah, you're oh, gonna. God, that could be taken in so many different directions. <laughs> I meant with like work around the house, <laughs> among other possibilities, but yeah. I'll just shut up. Go ahead and continue. Okay. okay. So this skin does look pretty cool. Your guy's pretty much glowing gold from within. You can see his veins and everything in his skin. It looks really cool. Gold eyes. 
It's really well done. Uh, Mike Finnegan says, quote, We have heard the feedback from players regarding how we award the cosmetic rewards for dungeons. So with Rathstone, you'll only need to complete the veteran difficulty of the dungeon in order to get the new skin rather than the collection of achievements as before. Oh, so they're kind of opening that up a little bit. Yes, they are. I wish they would do that uh, maybe backdating with some of the stuff so that I can finally get my um, my worm cult uh, personality that I want so bad. Because <laughs> if I don't get that for my necro, I'm going to rage. I have to get that on my necro at least. It's so perfect. We're, we really need a group for that. We just, we're going to have to we're going to have to grind that out. So anyway, folks, that is the prelude or I guess teaser for Depths of Malatar. And uh oh yeah. I like it. Well, now the next piece of th- news, the next little bit, next little ditty here isn't so little. <laughs> it's not. No. It's not. No. We um I'm just gonna lead in with zone chat here, and then you just you just run, you you. Yeah, it's, we got a lot to talk about. You just so, you um, just run. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So every so often, when there's something in the community that's really getting a lot of traction, or it's getting a whole lot of discussion, we will pull it into the show, and we ask your opinions on it. We put out a tweet, and we will. Uh, include some responses and so here we go zone chat this one says what are your thoughts on the proposed racial passive changes your answer could be used in this week's episode so we got a few uh really interesting uh interesting little bits here mm-hmm. first one from at rykoth one says i like it nords are finally immune to frost which makes sense orcs can still get their orc on i don't still don't believe in blind loyalty to the meta anyway I like that. Nords. Mm-hmm. Good point. I now, do. We're going to probably revisit these responses throughout all of this. So this is just kind of to present what people have said to us, and then we'll come back. Uh, at J, was it at G Sushi? Overall, not awful. My Dark Elf is a little disappointed, but not devastating. Many players don't like change, but I, f- I also think that's what makes the game interesting. It's ever evolving and challenging the players. I like that response, mm-hmm. and we will, we're gonna we're gonna touch on that response because Dark Elf is a little bit of a point of contention with mm-hmm. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. Is it a Jaibu Cole? A Jaibu Cole? I think I would, I would call it Jaibu Cool, but um, yeah. okay, you know, tomato, tomato, jibs, mm. jobs. Mm. But well, I think the I and the O would be different, but yeah. <laughs> It's going to be interesting, honestly. I don't I don't know how some content will be affected with everyone getting a nerf to their main attribute. Group stuff probably won't be changed much, except tanks will lose health. But solo stuff like VMA may get even more difficult. Alright, so racial passive changes. We'll have the links to this main post at loreseekerspodcast.com. So you can go there, you can check it out. But cash. We got a lot to talk yeah. about, man. I'm we just, do. I'm just gonna let you run. We do. It's been uh, like I was saying, you know, among the other things that I've had going on in the free time that I have had, I've been doing a lot of research on this stuff, and um, I want to kind of bring it to you. Now, I will preface it by saying this: we will, we're not going to have the depth of knowledge that that some content creators 
particularly the people who do builds are going to have on some of these. But we've played the game. Right. Jibs and I know, we know the game. So overall, we're going to be able to explain a lot of the stuff. But if you want some really good, like super in-depth discussions um, on the actual numbers, which we will touch on, but on the actual numbers, um, I would say the Tenets podcast is going to be great for that. And even off the records um, show with Zynode. Zynode is amazing when it comes to the stuff. And he was able to very readily break down a lot of the stuff. So do not deny those two shows. Go listen to those. But I also, you know, we're going to take this from a lower perspective. So I want you to hear it um, from us as well. Fitting for our name. Yes, very fitting for our name. Now, if you've been paying attention or if you read the four, January 17, a very long and detailed post was posted by uh, Gilliam. He's now Zoss Gilliam, or used to go by uh, Gilliam the Rogue. He is on their team now, and um, he did a post on the upcoming racial changes, and then we have kind of translated this. A lot of these are are their words, but some of our words too. But anyway, I'm going to start off with why they're making changes, and there was uh, quite a few reasons why they figured they wanted to make these changes. Number one, a lack of effective options in picking your race and class combination. I'd have to agree with that whole part. Um, this was mainly due to the fact that many of the racial bonuses were presented as percentage increases of stats rather than a flat increase. Mm-hmm. So that means that races that provided a bonus to a stat that you didn't focus into, kind of it kind of gave a very little tangible uh, the right. second reason right. is many racial bonuses do not have universal applicability. Many bonuses provided from races had narrow application or requirements, such as specified damage attack or proc conditions. If you don't know what a proc is, um, a proc is basically when um, when the percentage hits and whatever set bonus you have, like a lot of times for like a two-piece set bonus, it says... You know, you have this much percentage chance for fireballs to come out and hit something or for lightning to shoot out of your chest. A proc, when it procs, is is when that hits, is when the, the percentage points actually come together and that hits. That's what a proc is. Mm-hmm. For example, in orcs, uh, orcs have a damage bonus that is only applied to melee attacks instead of all physical attacks. So, for instance, orcs damage bonus would not apply to say a, a bow to bow damage because bow is not considered melee. It's considered ranged. Right. See what I mean? So that's, they made, they're making some changes based on difference melee attack versus physical attack. So you're going to see that a lot of these changes are increasing some of these races abilities and stats, which is a good thing. The, the third reason for why they're doing it, not every race provided a completely unique gameplay element. Some races currently provide smaller unique bonuses, such as immunity to specific status effects or sneaking. But not every race has something of this manner. On top of this, some of the larger, more defining passives were not comparable in terms of impact. For example... The Argonian resourceful passive to the Imperial's red diamond passive. And those are two that you can kind of weigh out. The Argonian's resourceful passive was way better 
red diamond. So we'll kind of go over it. The fourth reason. Some races provided far more mathematical combat power. That is a giant reason. That is why a lot of specific builds got funneled into one race. For instance, if you wanted a stamina build, most people went red guard. If you wanted a magicka build, most people went high elf because those were the strongest passives that you could get. And at end game, it makes your character, you know, 10% stronger here or there. So the Delta between some of those races was noticeable, leaving some races feeling left behind while others felt way too good to pass up from a combat perspective. This harkens back to so many of my builds that I did and so many of my characters that I built up and then killed because I just went for the meta so, so much. So anyway. Right. So that's why the focus on the on this next quality of life update is racial balances. And to their reason, the dev's reasoning was because in ESO, freedom is a core mantra of the game and the devs wanted to rope in to, to rope it back in so that the game resembles that. In order to provide more balanced bonuses to all playstyles, the decision was made to convert the current percentage bonuses into flat bonus numbers. So those flat bonus numbers now scale with the current percentage modifiers. They're very close when you actually do the math, meaning there will be less of a gap between builds. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay, cool. Um, they also explained uh, a lot about set bonuses. So how to calculate your sec- set bonus efficiently by using a lot of numbers. The devs did a lot of these calculations for each bonus that a race provides. So each race, when compared, would be roughly equal in the power that they provided. So in order to do this, they utilized the current version of, say, the Red Guard for Stamina or the Altmer for Magicka as their guide, because for the Red Guard, right now, the Stamina was the highest. Or the for Stamina, the Red Guard was the highest. And for Magicka, the Altmer was the highest. So they used those two as, as their exemplars in balancing out these set bonuses. So for the most part, they were able to give all other races a significant boost to reach the standard of where the Red Guard and the Altmer for Stamina and Magicka, um, respectively. That makes sense? Yep. I'm going to say that a lot because there's a lot of words here. Okay. So they also wanted to increase your improved sense of progression as your characters were. They wanted to make sure that the racial changes actually meant something as you leveled up. So in other words, they wanted the changes to be noticeable. In order to do this, some passive unlocks have been restructured. So the increases to your power are on a level Uh, with the progression of other races at the same time. So less powerful passives are going to unlock earlier and the more powerful ones are going to unlock later. You're going to have to work for the more powerful ones. Like it. Now, quick note, all racial skill points that you have unlocked will be refunded on all of your characters when this goes live. So don't forget that. I'm sure they're going to have a bunch of like notices and stuff for you to remember that. But if you have already earned these racial skill points, you will not need to unlock them again if you've already earned them. Okay. 
Another big lore and storytelling. This was very, very important. Major point of the devs focus in making this change. In conjunction with the other, with some other teams at Zoss, the development team got to dive deep into the lore to assure that the racial, racial passive changes were aligned with each race's history in Elder Scrolls. This is why the Lore Seekers podcast loves these changes so much. And then we're going to detail how the lore ties into each of the racial, cha- racial changes a little bit better than it ever has before. Okay. With all that being said, here are the racial changes. I'm going to first tell you we're going to we're just going to go class race by race and I'm going to tell you what the racial passives are now and what they are changing to. Okay? So the first one we're going to do we're going to cover is the high elf. Currently the high elf has increase in experience gain in destruction staff skill line by 15% and an extra 1% generic experience gain. That's what he has now. No changes will be made. So that will stay the same. The next one, big change. The next one is called Spell Charge. Currently, the Altmer has a 9% magic of recovery. That will be changing to something called Spell Recharge. This will restore 575 magicka or stamina based on whichever is higher after activating a class ability. This effect can occur once every six seconds and reduces damage taken by 5% while you were using an ability with a cast or channel time. I'm a big fan of this one because they're giving you a flat restoration of either Magicka or Stamina, which will now make the High Elf attractive to people who want to play a Stamina class. Right. Right? Okay. And here's the other thing. Actually, we're gonna, we'll cover the other thing during the, when I talk about why this fits into the law. The next one is Gift of Magnus, which is what they already have, 10% max Magicka increase. That is going to change to Cerebane's Boon, Cerebane's Boon, I should say, because that's how you say that, which increases your max Magicka by 2,000. It's a flat number now. And I'll just say, Flat increase of Max Magicka by 2,000 is big. That is a big change. Um, it's a big number. You are going to see how this kind of, how, how going from percentage to a flat number, um, it's going to kind of repeat itself as we go through all of these races. The next one is Elemental Talent. This is what they already have. 4% bonus to Fire, Shock, or Ice Damage. That is going to increase, instead of just being Fire Shock or Ice Damage, that is going to increase to an overall increase of Spell Damage by 258. So instead of the 4% flat, or instead of the 4% damage, you're going to get a flat 258 increase to overall Spell Damage. Okay. So the lore reasoning. High Elf is heavily ingrained with the belief of destiny and birthright. This is straight from from, um, Zoss's or lore reasoning. We'll we'll add a little bit of our flavor here. The high elf culture is very heavily ingrained with the belief of destiny and birthright. So we wanted a passive that is highlighted in their ability to harness their innate powers. 
granting them a unique resource when accessing a class ability really gets that feeling and makes it much more engaging than the previous flat recovery bonus. Here's our little flavor. On top of that, high elves are very high intelligent and are very known for, or are known for being very, very, uh, very, very powerful magic users and spellcasters. The devs wanted to make this race feel more powerful when they were charging up a powerful ability, hence the reduction in damage, hence the reduction in damage taken when casting or channeling a spell. So because of, you know, the, the way that they are, they're much they're that much more efficient in casting spells than any other race. So you get that damage in reduction, it's a 5% damage in reduction taken while you're casting an ability or channeling. I really, so I really like that. Yeah. I, yeah, I you know, love the changes. I know that there's a lot of people who are really against the flat rate numbers, but look, like I do not have <laughs> the gift of understanding all these numbers, min-maxing every little thing, understanding down to the decimal you know, of, of, of changes. Right. And so when I see these flat numbers, it makes it so much more understandable, easy to understand for me. And exactly. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and we're gonna touch on um, we're gonna touch on at the end some actual numbers and and some tests that were run. Okay, the next race Argonian. This one was a huge one because they even said that the Argonian was uh, number one. Argonians previously offered far too many stats, and they were mathematically twice as good as. So Argonian tanks, Argonian healers were massive. Any PvP character that you were going to roll, you could have rolled an Argonian, and you literally, in a lot of respects, had you were twice as good as some of the other races. That's crazy. Yeah, so this retracted from the unique feeling that the devs wanted to have for each race, and bonuses were all over the place. So now there should be um, some stats that are going to fall directly in line with their lore. No, you don't lose your swimming bonus. And less in other areas that were not in line with the lore so let's cover what they have now and what they're going to change to argonians currently have an increase to experience gain in the restoration staff skill line by 15 percent which is a lot and an extra 50 percent swimming speed you'll be happy to know no changes here the next one they have resourceful this one was huge they would gain three percent max magicka and restore 4,600, a little over 4,600 health, magicka, and stamina every time they drank a potion. It didn't matter what kind of potion it was. It could have been a, the crappiest potion that you, you found under a log. And it would increase 3% max magicka and restore 4,620 health, magicka, or stamina every time you drink a potion. Goodness. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. So that is changing to increases your max magicka by a thousand, restores thirty six hundred health, magicka, and stamina when you drink a potion. So it did get a nerf. It got a thousand point nerf, but your in it increases your max magicka by a thousand. And that's your flat three percent bonus. It's comparable. The next one is Argonian Resistance. They currently have 9% max health and 1485 poison and disease resistance. 
this is changing to this, increases your max health by 1,000 and your disease resistance by 2310. Here's the big one. You are immune to the diseased status effect. I'd love that. You are immune <laughs> to the diseased status effect. So that means if somebody hits you with a disease, you'll take the initial punch, but it cannot set the disease status effect over time on you. You are immune to that. Lackadies. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. We'll get into it with the with the why that makes sense. The next one. Currently, Argonians have quick to mend, which is 5% healing done, increase of 5% to healing done and received. That is going to change to life mender, which increases your healing done by 4%. Which surprised me that that's not a flat number. Yeah, yeah, I, um, yeah, carry on. I agree. <laughs> yes, carry on. Okay, so the lore reasoning behind these changes. Argonians, by nature, are very resilient creatures, adapting to their surroundings and acclimating themselves to the environment. Their ability to shrug off potent diseases makes them harder to take down, and their connection with the Hist empowers their will for life. Remember this. This is why I love this lore portion. Do you remember the Kanatan flu? Uh -huh. That was unleashed on Tamriel? The Argonians were the only race not affected by the... It killed hundreds of thousands of people. Man and beast in Tamriel. That was but manufactured bonuses, by the slowed, right? That, no, that was the uh, Thracian Plague. Oh, Thracian Plague. Okay, okay. This one, uh, they thought it was... This one, they thought it was released by a magic user. And I, I'd have to look it back up to see. But this is the one that killed off so many Khajiit. I mean, it, it nearly wiped out a lot of elsewhere. Right. Happened. But um, the Argonians' bonus to healing done makes them gifted healers, while their resource return after drinking a potion helps them stay in the fight. So regardless of their role, their ability to recuperate and get back into prey is certainly upheld in these changes, even though they took a small hit. But it does bring them in line with all which is a very, very good thing. Okay. The next one, which I, key, I squeed on the, I didn't, the wood Bosmer, <laughs> the Wood Elf. Yes. Currently, the Wood Elf has increases to experiences in the bow skill line by 15% and decreases fall damage taken by 10%. No changes here. And it makes plenty of sense. They're way more agile than the other races. Should be um, by lore standards. And they're pretty much born with a bow in there. So that makes total sense. Uh, currently, they have Ephraise Endurance, which is 21% stamina recovery. Massive. But now what this does, instead, you get a flat number of 258 stamina recovery, which is still pretty freaking good. Okay, that's still very, very good. The next one. Wood Elves currently have Resist Affliction, which is 6% max stamina and 1485 poison and disease resistance. Well, from a lore perspective, they really didn't have any reason to have disease resistance. So what they've changed this to is your max stamina is increased a flat 2000, massive, and your poison resistance by 2310. In addition to that, Bosmer are now immune to the poison stamina effect. So very similar to what the Argonians has with their disease status effect, 
the Bosmer will still take the initial hit of a poison, but they will not be set with the poison status effect. That is huge because there are so many poisons used in PvP. Mm-hmm. This makes Cash a very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree 100%. Okay, so their stealthy bonus. This one is going to take a little bit of a hit. Currently, Wood Elves have a um, reduction in um, stealth detection by 3 meters and increases damage done in stealth by 10%. So this is going away. What's gonna, what it's going to be replaced with is Hunter's Eye, which increases your stealth radius by... Th- I mean, let me say that again. Hunter's Eye increases your stealth detection radius by three meters after you use dodge roll you gain a 20 percent movement speed for three seconds so this eludes less to the wood elf being super stealthy and more to the wood elf being a scout which is what they do and it gives a 20 percent movement speed for three seconds so that coupled with some of the stat bonuses of say like night mothers and some of the other stuff is going to make the Wood Elf the go-to class for being fast. Yeah, see, I was seeing um, people say, okay, look, the, the Wood Elf just got a huge buff, if, particularly if you're doing, like, a bow build, which so happens we are. And yeah. and also, I saw some angst in regards to the stealth getting changed. Um, yes. But I still see, even though it's getting changed, I still see from a lore perspective how it's uh, the right change. It's not, yes. I don't see a negative. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's well, not, and, not going with lore. Yeah. And, and in some respects they're, ta- you know, they're taking away, this is my favorite class or my favorite race. If you've listened to our show, they're taking away some of my sneaky, sneaky. And they're taking away a 10% um, da- increase in damage done from stealth. I used to hit with my bow all the time from still. I'm still using it now. So that's going to go away. But at the same time, in PvP, I'm going to be able to see people faster. And, I mean, imagine when I when I steal the relic in a battleground and try and get away from somebody who's got me, you know, rooted or something, snared. I'm going to do a dodge roll to get out of that, and I'm going to get a th- speed for three seconds. I'll be out of their range in no time. Yeah, it's we and couple that with some of the skills that you have. Come on, man, you're going to be super fast. So I'm I'm okay with this. Um, from the devs, a quick note: why they changed the stealthy passive for the Bosmer. Previously, that passive was shared between the Khajiit and the Wood Elf, and it did not help them feel distinctly different enough from each other. So, since sneaking isn't a universal mechanic to the game. They wanted to take away some of the focus from the passive and built it into the other passives instead, which is exactly what they did. They still want to support the game, manic- uh, the game mechanic, however, so they kept part of the Wood Elf and the Khajiit a little bit different with these passives. And you'll see why when we hit the Khajiit. If you want a sneak, super sneaky, sneaky character, you're going to lean toward the Khajiit and we'll cover one. So, lore reasoning. The thick forests of Valenwood have imprinted the importance of the ability to hunt in the Wood Elf race. As such, they have a natural adeptness for detecting potential threats. Remember, they're scouts. Quick to react and well-versed in the poisons of nature, the Wood Elf can outlast and outwit their opponents. These traits are demonstrated with their natural speed boost, 
when tactively, uh, tactfully engaging in combat and their unparalleled stamina recovery. I can't agree more. Many wood elves are very respected archers due to their inherent mastery of the bow from a very, very age. Many take work as scouts and can find their target with ease. So the Bosmer are known to be incredibly dexterous and quick, which is also reflected in these changes. And that's our little our little lore bit on it because it's true. They nailed the lore for the Bosmer and they did for a lot of these races, which is why you kind of see this is how our, fe- our feeling is. We're kind of excited about these changes because these are Elder Scrolls changes. Super yeah, stoked. I agree 100%. So, very interesting changes on the next one, which might make people want to change. Breton. Big changes to the Breton. Currently, the Breton has increases in experience gains in light armor by 15% and an extra 1% alliance point gain. No changes here. The Breton currently has what is called the Gift of Magnus, which is 10% max magicka. That is changing to a flat increase in your max magicka by 2,000. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot, but still right in line with the other races. Currently, the Breton has spell resistance, 3960 spell resistance. That is changing to gain 2,310 spell resistance and gain 100 magicka recovery. That's a big deal. Yeah, it is. Okay. Stuff. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Currently, the Breton has 3% magicka cost reduction. This is changing reduction of the magicka cost of your abilities by 7%. <laughs> so there's going to be a big split between. People wanting to roll uh, Altmer and people wanting to roll Breton because that's massive Magicka cost um, reduction. Absolutely. And a little boost to your Magicka recovery and a massive boost to your Max Magicka. Yeah, I, I'll i be honest. I've never I've never even really considered the Breton you know, as, as a race like that I would seriously choose. But now, man... <laughs> That yeah. stuff's tempting, dude. It's tempting. very tempting. And they have, you know, they gain the t- uh, magic cost reduction. Yeah. It's going to be good. Oh, yeah. So the lore reasoning behind it, the Breton race is tuned in. Remember, they're, they're half and half. They're halflings, basically. Uh, their natural hardiness is paired with arcane ability and allows them to shrug off powerful spells and re- and retaliate very quickly in succession with their own. This is shown to be in their bonuses to their magicka pool, as well as their high resistance spell attacks. Bretons should be feared for their ability to constantly weave spells with little delay. See what I mean? So yeah. everything that's in these changes is reflected in their lore reasoning. I love Get it. it. Okay. Don't throw things at your whatever. Don't chuck your iPhone. Okay. <laughs> We're going to cover the Dark Elf next. Ooh, ooh. There's a lot of points of contention with the Dark Elf. Yeah. But there's some lore reasoning behind it and it makes me happy. So, all right, let's start. Currently, 
increases in experience gain in dual wield skill line by 15% and reduction in damage taken from lava by 50%. No changes here. Currently, the Dark Elf it has something called Dynamic, 6% Max Stamina and Magicka. That is going to change to increases your Max Stamina and Max Magicka by 1250. So you know, you're getting two big stats boosted. Um, next one. Currently, the Dark Elf has a Flame Resist, 3% um, Max Magicka and 2079 Flame Resistance. It's called Resist Flame. That is changing to increases your max health by 600 and your flame resistance by 2310 as a flat number. So that's a nice little boost to your max health. You are also immune to the burning status effect. So which again means you will take the initial hit on, a, on any flame damage, but you will not, as a dark elf, have the sustained burning status effect over time. The next one, currently the Dark Elf has a passive called Destructive Ancestry, which is 7% flame damage, increase of 7% flame damage, and 2% frost or shock damage. This is going to be changed to Ruination, which increases your weapon and spell damage by 258, which is a good number. So here's the lore reasoning behind it. Dark Elves are a very sophisticated race and can thrive in the harshest conditions. Intelligent and quick, Dark Elves are very well-versed in blades and magic, giving them a keen advantage in juggling between the two. By giving the Dark Elf a balanced bonus of weapon and spell damage, as well as magicka and stamina, their natural cunning and versatility will be demonstrated as they can fulfill any role and, and be very good at it remember spell swords are a real thing in elder scrolls lore they're definitely known for being more nimble than a sorcerer and being better at spell casting than say like a warrior or a knight spell swords are great students of both combat and magic making the dunmer historically a very good choice in Elder Scrolls lore for any type of spell sword class. Man, I you know, like there's I know there's a big contention here when it comes to the Dark Elf, but overall, like I I obviously they're taking a little bit of a hit, but yeah. at the same time, from a lore standpoint, like I get it. Um I I like it. Like I, I'm not opposed. It, obviously it's not as great, but I still think they're gonna surprise people. Yes, because it's making a very, um, uh, it's making a very versatile race. Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to see stam builds and magicka builds with this um, for sure. And, and who knows if somebody likes to play with a mix of the two? You, in Elder Scrolls Online, you very well could make a spell sword. I mean, it's not going to be as meta as a you know a full stam class or a full magicka class, like where you're putting all your points into stamina and magicka. But still, for soloing and you know, having a little bit of both, dabbling in both, you could absolutely make a spell sword. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. And now your bonuses will be even better to help you. So, Yep. Okay. Some changes to the Imperial. Currently, the Imperial has increased in experience gain in one hand and, shield, and the shield skilled line by 15% and an extra 1% gold gain. Meh. No changes here. 
Um, the Imperial currently has a racial pass tough, which is 12% max health. That is changing to a flat increase of your max health by 2000. Flat number. Currently, the Imperial has a racial passive called conditioning, which is 10% stamina. That is changing to something called Imperial Metal, which increases your max stamina by 2000. So not only do you have an increase of max health by 2000, you have an increase of max stamina by 2000. Jeez. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Red Diamond, which is currently a racial passive Imperial is a 10% chance on melee attack to heal for 6% of max health. This is changing to same name, but when you deal direct damage, you have a 15% chance to heal for 1750. And also a reduction in the cost of your block and bash by 5%. Hi. Okay. Uh so they got some love. They got a lot of love. Casual Ranger is squeeing in his patrol car over this one. I'm sure he is. Yeah. Huge differences. Uh, the lore reasoning behind this, the Imperial race is very stout and hardy by nature in both battle and culture. They stand strong and unified regardless of what hardships face them. This is highlighted with their powerful bonuses to Constitution. I love how they take that to old school D&D. Uh -huh. And the ability to push back when under pressure. So the survivability and sustainability of your stamina classes are awesome on the Imperial. Coming up. Gosh, I can't stand okay. the Imperial so much. They just gave me more reason than <laughs> <laughs> Hated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. So here's one that I'm also excited about. Um, I definitely will be a Khajiit. I mean, it's elsewhere, right? You got to have a Khajiit to go through this content. And absolutely. Um, yeah. And um, I might, I don't know if I'm going to race change because I have a Bosmer. Nightblade right now, and I like him. He's he's my crafter. He's pretty badass little dude. But um, a Khajiit, anything stealthy and crit is going to be insane. So let's go over it right now. The Khajiit currently has an increase in experience gain with me the medium armor skill line by fifteen percent and a five percent bonus change to successfully pickpocket. No changes here. That's going to stay the same. The next one, the Khajiit currently has a racial pass nimble, which is a 20% health recovery and 10% stamina recovery. That is going to be changed to robustness. Say that three times fast. Which increases the health recovery of the Khajiit by 100 and stamina and magicka recovery by 75. Yes, I did say health recovery by 100 Stamina and Magicka recovery by 75, which opens up the Khajiit for Magicka classes, my friends, and it does not end there. Currently, the Khajiit has a racial bonus called Stealthy, which reduces detection radius by 3 meters and increases damage from stealth by 10 meters, which is the same that the Bosmer has, right? This is going to change to something called Lunar Blessings, 
We all know that the Khajiit have a very strong connection to the lunar lattice of Masser and Secunda, the two moons of Nern. So the new blessing they're going to get, called Lunar Blessings, increases max health, magicka, and stamina by 750, making them much more versatile in any build. Pretty cool. So I'm going to have a uh, Khajiit Necro. That's definitely going to happen. Absolutely 150%. Yeah, for sure. But it doesn't end there. Currently, the Khajiit has a racial passive bonus, Carnage, which increases weapon critical chance by 8%. They are going to get something called female, female, Feline Ambush which increases the weapon and spell critical chance by 8% and reduces the detection radius in stealth by 5 meters. Whew. Yes. Weapon and spell critical chance. Not just weapon critical chance. So this further increases the bonuses for anybody who wants to roll magicka with your Khajiit. Yeah, I... Uh, <laughs> Dude, I... I'm really intrigued to see where this ends up with those. Yes. So lore reasoning behind the Khajiit changes. The Khajiit race is one of intrigue and versatility with a natural ability to adapt to any walk of life. Under the, gu- the guidance of the moons, Master and Secunda, Secunda, they can fulfill any role with a well-rounded bonus to all resources. We also wanted to better demonstrate the keenness for subterfuge and trickery. So the Khajiit now have more access to critical strike chance and sneaking potential, regardless of what proficiency they build into. The many skill sets of a Khajiit make this race a true jack of all trades in ESO. This race may become the go-to race for classes and builds. It's a little mix of... Zoss's lore reasoning and our lore reasoning, but I could not stop thinking about a Magicka Necro in stealth doing your first opening attack out of stealth with a high crit chance and an increase. Yeah. You know what I mean? From both yeah. weapon and spell crit chances. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. You know what I mean, dude? Oh, my God. So fun. Okay. Next, the Nord. The Nord currently has an increase in its scent and 15 extra minutes on drink buffs. No changes here. That'll stay the same. Uh, currently, the Nord has Stalwart, 6% max Magicka, and 20% health recovery. That is going to change to Stalwart. Increase your max stam by 1,500, the flat number. And when you take damage, you gain 5 ultimate. This effect can occur once every 10 seconds, which is pretty quick. The Nord also has Resist Frost. 9% max health and 2079 cold resistance. That is going to change to an increase of your max health by 1,000. And your cold resistance is now going to be a flat. Ten, but the Nord is immune to the chilled status effect. So yeah, you gain that 
cold resistance by 2310. You're immune to chill, which is the way you really should be anyway for a Nord, right? Especially being from Skyrim. Um, Dang, bro. (laughs) Yeah, so you'll take the initial hit of a cold status, but you will not keep the chilled status effect over time. Right. That's how that will work. Um, And then the next one is they currently have Rugged, which is 6% damage reduction. That one is going to change to increase of physical and spell resistance by 3960, which is pretty good. Uh-huh. You see a lot more Nord tanks. Oh, yeah. There, for sure. Yeah. What I'm seeing a lot from this, and this is something I intend to make, is um, the this is the one class I will probably make outside of all Necros will be a Nord Dragon Knight. They're calling for Nord Dragon Knights because of when you take damage, you're going to be gaining that five ultimate. Right. A lot of alts are going to be thrown out. It's you want to you want to particularly pay attention to the last. Once I get through the races, we are going to talk about a study that was done by uh, a fellow ESO player, um, which is really going to highlight some of these some of the these racial changes and how they're going to affect some classes. Um, so it's really going to tell you kind of what races are going to be the best at what roles. Um, so we'll wait until we get there, but you can you can look forward to coming up in 10 minutes. Um, so the lore reasoning behind this, the hardy Nord, well accustomed to the hard of With a bonus to constitution and their ability to bitter cold, Nords could soak up immense amounts of damage. The Nords' ability to snap back from punishment is highlighted with their new ultimate gain passive, which means they're going to come into ultimate really quick. Um, and the changes that were made by Zoss to their flat damage reduction to resistances kind of helped it better scale with the rest of the play styles and allowed for different build paths than it did before. So like I was saying, there's probably going to be a lot more people playing tank instead of classes. Okay, Orc. The Orc currently has an increase in experience gain in the heavy armor and 10% inspiration gain. No changes here. The next one that they currently have is called Brawny, which is a 6% max health and stamina. That is going to change to an increase of the max health and stamina of the orc by 500. Flat number. Orc currently have a racial passive called Unflinching, which increases the healing received by 5% and 20% increase to health recovery. That is going to change to a flat increase of healing received by 4%. And when you deal damage with a weapon, any weapon ability, you restore 380 health and stamina. When you deal damage with any weapon ability, you will restore 380 health stamina. That effect can occur once every four seconds. You blink and it takes four seconds. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like a long blink, but it's pretty quick. Four seconds is going to go by real quick. So you're going to be gaining a lot of health and stamina back. Okay. The next one that they currently have is called Swift Warrior. 4% melee attack increase, 12% sprint cost reduction, and 10% increase to sprint speed. This is going to change to increase of weapon damage by a flat 258 and a reduction in the cost of your sprint ability by 12% and increase of movement speed while sprinting by 10%. The orcs are pretty quick. 
<laughs> pretty fast. Yeah, watch him shimmy a little bit across the battlefield. <laughs> okay, the lore reasoning behind it. The orc race is one of honor and code. The orc is well known for their aggressive combat style, and they wanted to showcase the fact that they do have an aggressive combat style by helping to keep the orc in the fight with their new recovery when utilizing any weapon. The previous bonus to melee damage was a little too niche, and Zoss wanted orcs to feel powerful with less restriction. So they're giving them more damage and aggression, and they also wanted to dial back on defensive power. Um, some folks are a little bummed on this one because there's not more of um, Magicla in, Magicka inclination with the orc. And from what I was able to gather was because orc shaman are kind of a thing uh, in Elder Scrolls lore. Okay. And there's really no bonus. Yeah. Lack so it's bonuses, kind of a yeah. bummer. And yeah. I can say the same for the Bosmer. Because I really want um, I want some kind of a racial bonus to Magicka for the Bosmer. And there's none. It's pretty much all in uh, stamina and dexterity. Right. So, anyway. You know, you can't have your rot myth and eat it, too. Ugh. Or you cannot have it at all. Oh, well, you can do that. Speaking of that. Ah, bourbon. Hmm. Mmm. Smooth. Right in time for the Red Guard. Okay. Let's talk Red Guard. Because he started Epic... And they're going to continue. Yeah. Currently, the Red Guard has an increase in one hand and shield, shield skill line by 15%. With 15 extra minutes on food buffs. No changes here. That will stay the same. Currently, the Red Guard's exhilaration gives 9% stamina recovery, which is going to change to martial training a reduction in the cost of your weapon abilities by 8%. That's all weapon abilities. Okay? And I like the reasoning behind this. We'll cover it soon. Red Guard also have a racial pass called Conditioning, which is 10% max stamina increase. The Red Guard is going to change to an increase of max stamina by a flat 2,000. Adrenaline Rush is currently in the Red Guard's racial passive when you deal damage with a melee attack to stamina, this effect can occur once every five seconds. This will change to this. When you deal direct damage, any weapon, direct damage, you restore 950 stamina. This effect can occur once every five seconds. Whew. 950 stamina. Any direct damage once every five seconds. Huh. So, uh, yeah, that happened. Um, here's the lore reasoning. Fierce and resilient, the Red Guard race is well respected for their physical combat prowess. We wanted to emphasize, we meaning Zoss, wanted to emphasize their cultural background of being well-versed in the ways of combat by granting them a cost reduction bonus for weapon abilities while pulling back some of their passive recovery. Instead, we've moved it more into their offensive staying power with Adrenaline Rush 
to highlight their natural advantage to attrition. Basically, what that means to me is the Red Guard are master at weaponry, at swords, at melee weapons. They deserve to be given a cost in reduction of what it of what these skills and abilities cost because they're more efficient with these weapons so instead of getting a flat magic or a flat uh, stamina recovery they are getting a reduction in their weapon ability cost by almost the same it's eight percent right which is pretty good yeah but on top of that they're still getting the 200 flat max stamina see what i'm saying yep i like it just because it represents the fact since they are master masters of it, it requires less of them to do. And yes. it just kind of all flows together. They definitely feel more offensive now more than ever. Right. And rightfully so it goes along with the lore. So that was the last race. Um, now I wanted to, I wanted to definitely cover, and this was actually about an community as well. Baker. Um, but most definitely it's being talked about in the forums. There has been a lot of sniveling on the internet about some of the changes since um, they've been released. Now, they're they're in PTS right now. They're not. Um, But as if in an answer to all this bickering, the ESO community, as a matter of fact, a member by the name of Suzmitz, I'm not even going to try and say how do you pronounce it. It's Suzmitz, I guess. But he's from the Hellrunners Guild. He ran some live numbers on a parse, on a on a combat dummy, to find out what each race's efficiency is with these new race changes. This data is freaking incredible. He tested all races, all classes, in a buffed DPS test. So basically he's trying to recreate being in dungeon trial against a boss. So this may seem very subjective because there's tons and tons of different variables. Gear, food, your particular build, your Bundestone, etc. There's all kinds of different little variables. But he took a flat test of um, like an average, basically. You can see the particulars of his test uh, on the forums, and it's found in general ESO discussion. And I actually have an article that, that is up on the Lore Seekers website. That covers all this stuff, including Suzmid's test. So um, the name of the post, I think, is um, on the forums is Raid Buffed DPS Comparison by by Each Race by Class. So here's how this shook down. Suzmid scored each race on a scale of 1 to 10. One being completely unoptimized, as in there's no bonuses for their potential. So, for instance, if um, I were to take my Magicka Warden to these tests, there are no racial bonuses for Magicka for a war or for a um, Bosmer. So it wouldn't really matter. So he scored it from one to ten, one being un- unoptimized, two to five being fair, six being decent, seven being good, eight and nine being great, and a ten being excellent. Copy? Following? Yep. Perfect. Here is the results for the Altmer. The Altmer scored as great with the new racial racial passive changes for all 
Magicka rolls. No surprise there. Right. They scored fair for all stamina rolls. And um, just a quick note, the Altmer had very, very balanced passives for any Magicka damage roll. They didn't have uh, any consistence of Breton, but their highest parses tend to exceed the Bretons. The next one, Bosmer. Bosmer scored great, which is an 8 or a 9 on a 10 scale for all stamina rolls. They are completely unoptimized. I love it, too. Um, The Bosmer is completely unoptimized for all Magicka rolls. There are no bonuses at all for any Magicka roll for the Bosmer. Freaking sucks, but it is what it is. Um, The Bosmer is the most consistent stamina damage dealing race thanks to their sustain. That made me so freaking happy. Okay. Next, the Khajiit. The Khajiit scored excellent for a Stamina Templar and a Magicka Templar. Incredibly interesting. The Khajiit scored great, which is an 8 or a 9. A Nightblade, Magicka Nightblade, Stamina Warden, and Magicka Warden. Awesome. So stoked. Um, the, the Khajiit scored good for all remaining rolls, which means the Khajiit is viable for any race, any class. Or excuse me, the Khajiit is viable for any class, which made me very happy. Um, okay, the Breton. The Breton scored excellent on all Magicka rolls, except Magicka Templar. No idea why. They scored great for Magicka Templar. The Breton is unoptimized for all stamina rolls, which means there's no racial bonuses. Breton. Right. Um, the Breton came out as the most consistent Magicka damage thanks to their system, which blows me away. It looks like it is going to outclass or get very close to outclassing the Altmer with the new changes. The Red Guard. Excellent for Stamsorks. Excellent for Stamina Dragon Knights. Like, that's what people are leaning towards that, that I've heard is Red is going to be raced to go for Stamina Dragon uh, They scored good for Stamina Nightblade. Good for Stamina Templar. Good for Stamina Warden. Fair for Magicka Sork. Fair for Magicka Dragon Knight. And all remaining roles, like uh, pretty much everything else, like Magicka Warden and everything, is all unoptimized for all the other roles. The Orc scored excellent for Stam Sork. Excellent for Stamina Dragon Knight. Great for Stamina Nightblade. Great for Stamina Templar. And great for Stamina Warden, which are all going to be very, very viable. The Orc was unoptimized in all Magicka roles, like we talked about. There are no magical Magicka bonuses for the Orc either. So the Nord, how did they stack up? This was surprising. The Nord scored middle of the road, decent for the Stamina Dragon Knight, fair, which is not that good, for the Stam Nightblade, Stamina Templar, Stamina Warden, Stamina Sork, and all Magicka rolls. So comparatively with the tests, the Nord still kind of fell flat. Which sucks. Huh. Yeah. The bummer. Um, the Argonian. The Argonian scored decent for all Magicka rolls. 
scored fair for all stamina rolls. Decent sustain and overall should be viable most DPS roll. Isn't that kind of a bummer? Yeah. The Ar- they went from, Argonian went from like hero to zero. Yeah, I I don't know. I still think they're going to do really well. I mean, it, these tests are subjective too. Who knows? You know what I mean? So anyway, the Dunmer. The Dunmer are going to make excellent stamina nightblades, excellent stamina wardens, excellent stamina dragon knights. They're going to do great as stamina sorks, stamina templars, magicka sorcerers. The Dunmer will be great for uh, magicka wardens, magicka dragon knights, and magicka nightblades. So long story short, they're kind of a jack of all trades now, in case you haven't Dunmer picked up on that. Dunmer are definitely the jack of all trades. Um, they're also going to be in the good category for magicka templars. They'll be either uh, damage dealing or healing. Um, the Imperial, the last one, decent for Stam Sork. The all remaining rolls are fair. Um, and they, they're going to, the Imperial is going to prefer good enough to be viable across all stamina damage dealing rolls, but not the optimal class or race for it. Um, like I said, I'm going to link all these for. Our overall take is that Jibs and I are pretty happy with all the racial changes. Um, they bring pretty much all playable classes of Elder Scrolls Online right in line and then provide the strength based on that. And that makes us happy. Um, the changes we think are going to kind of open up the game to a lot of players that might have avoided playing a certain race class just because they felt kind of funneled into that you know, meta mindset of it has to be this race to be the best. Uh, which that kind of sounds like me, but it's true. Uh, granted, there are some changes that will undoubtedly bring some heartburn, and you could see in the, like some of the last few that I covered, like oh, it kind of sucks. Um, I guess you can't really make everybody happy all the time. It has to be some kind. Of... So um, I'm pretty happy with the changes that Zoss has put forth. I think they've done a really good job, kind of bringing everything back into line. Yeah, so. I, I I'll be honest. I'm I just want to. I think a lot of times, uh, whenever big changes like this um, come to games, uh, people tend to freak out a little bit more than probably what's warranted, uh, and probably right. what's than what is it definitely is warranted. Um, it really what it comes down to is okay. What's this going to look like after it's out? You know, what's this going to feel like when it's out? You won't know. And now it's just a right. bunch of speculation. It's just a bunch of worry. I think at the end, um, people there's going to be people who are definitely surprised i think there's obviously going to be people who's disappointed and like you said you'll never make everybody happy but as far as a lore standpoint which was the angle that we were wanting to hit on that i think most of these changes are right on they're spot on if not all of them you know i mean like you talked about the um the uh the orc having some like shamanistic views to it um but overall you know like i just i think this is it this is good it is good. I still would have liked to see, I would have liked to have seen all the races be vi- at least viable in both stamina and magic rules. I really would have loved to see that. But um, That's with tough. the two in particular, the Orc and the Bosmer, it just was not, it's not the case. And it bums me out because like the spinners in Bosmer lore, a lot of times were magic users. Yeah. Um, you know, using nature magic. And it, it just, I don't know. I just want my damn magical ward so badly. But 
Oh well. This was good. Not a, it's this not was a fun. Game. Yeah. Yeah, that was very good. Uh, you ready to get into some lore, buddy? I am. Are you ready? I am. So, today, we wanted to touch on something that was a little bit more in-depth to the Khajiit, because we've already covered the Khajiit way back in Lord Lesson 11. Uh-huh. Um, we all know where we're headed. We're going to the land of the Khajiit. Yeah. And elsewhere. In the Elder Scrolls Online upcoming chapter by that same name. Um, we are undoubtedly going to run into tons of Khajiit. But there have been a couple of quite distinct facts recently released about the type of Khajiit we're going to run into. Um, we're going to be interacting with the Alfiq, which we covered in Lore Lesson 11. But we're going to refresh your mind on what the Alfiq are tonight. And um, if you purchase a collector's edition of the game, you're actually going to receive, as part of your in-game items, the Sench Rot Mount. Which I'm kind of excited about talking about because I'm going to be riding on one soon. Yeah, buddy. So who would we be as lore seekers if we did not talk about these two very interesting types of Khajiit? Um, so in lore lesson 11, we talked about how the Khajiit is subtly bound to the lunar cycles of Masser and Secunda, the two distant moons of Nur. A mysterious force determines the form that a Khajiit assumes in life, usually at their birth, according to the phases of the two moons. So basically speaking, the way a Khajiit looks in life is directly tied to the positions of the moon phases when they are born. So when all Khajiit are born, they're similar in appearance. But soon as they, as they start to grow, the differences begin to manifest in a matter of weeks. There are rumored to be more than 20 forms of Khajiit, but there's only a limited amount of information that is known what is known, however, is the confirmed existence of the Alfiq and the Sentrot. Let's start with the Alfiq, which is incredibly interesting. Okay. Similar to a modern house cat, or the cats that you see running around Elder Scrolls, the Alfiq are much more jolly and smart. Cappy. Um... So to best describe the Alfiq, it's, it's guaranteed that you've run into an Alfiq. You just might have not known it. As a matter of fact, one of your pets, if you have cats um, in the game, might be an Alfiq. Who knows? Your actual real-life cat might be an Alfiq. <laughs> <laughs> um, to best describe the Alfiq, when I was doing my research, I found an article on Reddit. Yes. I braved the perils of Reddit to Good. find the information. <laughs> Good for you. Better man I know. than me. Yeah, me. Uh, is it canon? Who knows? I don't really even give a crap, to be honest with you, because it was so awesome that I had to do this for you guys. So I will be reading this part of the lore lesson 
in the Kajiti tongue, right here on our podcast. So, please, without any further ado, here's the Alfiq, written by the Apocrypha on Reddit, read by Cash the Lore Seeker. Hmm. You want to know more about the Furstocks? This one explains. The Alfiq. They are the jolliest of the Khajiit. Having the size of a house cat, but the heart of a lion or a peacock. You may already have met one, but just did not know it, thinking it one of your mewling kitty cats that you feed milk and fish. Not that an Alfiq would take offense at such offerings, but then you may never be able to get rid of it. This is one reason why many Alfiq dye their fur or wear hats and vests, so that outlanders are not exposed to such dangers of servitude through misidentification. Alfiq, having a large reputation, you see, larger than their size, and to a point most comical. They will carry themselves with extreme gravity, until this one distracts them with a string or a rustling leaf, which they can't simply resist to catch. And catch they will, for Alfiq are very good at magic, disappearing and reappearing where they should not be, to stick claws or tooth fast to rapiers into their prey. The prey only hopes Kajit has not put the poison on their weapons, or have no stickable gaps in their armor for Kajit to exploit so. That this prey sometimes turns out to be a feather would make all the outlanders laugh, but this would never dampen the Alfiq's spirit, you see. Much to outlander's chagrin, this one thinks. Always telling stories of their own antics, those Kajit. This one even hears one Alfiq tale of bedding a centrat, told with much fluffed fur and upright tail, ignoring all the catcalls one asked how he did not die under centrat's claws. This one thinks this Kajit was exaggerating, but one never knows with an Alfiq. Perhaps, somewhere, there is a Centrat expecting a family of many little Alfiqs and Centrats, and we would never know it, yes? Kajit have many such tales about Alfiq tricksters and heroics, and not all told by Alfiq themselves. This one recognizes the same stories in your language, Though, of course, you outlanders make the Alfiq into humans or housecats wearing boots instead. How ridiculous is that? For all these stories of adventure and bravery, the truth is that many Alfiq are employed in watching grain for insects or moon sugar from dishonorable thieves. Their high, clear voices, so beautiful when singing wordless ballads in Tiagra, also have the distinction of being impossible to ignore when they give the alarm. And when they give that alarm often and loudly, so much this one thinks Alfiq just like to hear themselves talk when nothing more interesting is going on. Alfiq would be very good spy for their small size, this one thinks, if not for unfortunate flaw like this. Alfiq told this one story of Outlander making this mistake, bringing Alfiq into home as pet kitty cat. Then Kajit get to tell many tales about Outlander's own exploits in bedroom, 
yowling same remarks about Lady Centrat in Lusty Tagra until Outlander can find no more comfort in bed. What do you think of that? Very much like the Alphic, yes? To pay back cat calls by becoming a calling cat. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I hope you hated that as much as I enjoyed doing it for you. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Did not expect the the end there. Well done. Wow. Anyway, um uh, so that is a little bit more on the Alfique. It was very hard to find lore on the Alfique past what we already have in Elder Scrolls Online. So um, when I found that, I thought it was gold. And uh, to Apocrypha, I don't even know who that person is, but apparently they're pretty amazing uh, amazing with lore. So thank you very much for that and to um, allowing us to contribute that to our cast. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Centrot to close up here. Um, these are very interesting and if you go to the article that we have on this lore, there is a diagram of the size of what Centrot is rumored to be. Um, they, these are massively beastly kitty cats. Um, the Imperials, which used, used to ride them into battle, actually called them battle cats. Um, not thunder cats, battle cats. Um, <laughs> They are a form of Khajiit born when Masser is full, the mood of Masser is full, and Secunda is waxing. I don't know what the F that means, but what's a waxing moon? I don't know. I'm not an astrological type of guy, but apparently it happens. Anyway, Centrot are larger and slower than the Sench. Remember, the rot part, if you have a type of Khajiit and there's rot behind it, R-A-H-T, it typically means the larger form of that um, subspecies. So the senche rot are larger and slower than the sench with the shorter body and straighter legs. The average sench rot stands as tall as two altmer, so you're like 14 or so feet high, and can weigh as much as 50 altmer. Now, I don't know why the weight and size of Khajiit are measured in Altmer. And maybe they're like the Backstreet Boys or something of Tamriel. Because uh, a Backstreet Boy, in a weight of measurement, is 135 pounds. <laughs> that's like common knowledge. So anyway, maybe that's what they're trying to do with the Altmer here. But um, yeah, Centrot stand as tall as two Altmer and can weigh as much as 50 Altmer. So that's freaking huge. Uh, like freaking huge. Yeah, I don't I don't know where the a backstreet boy is 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 the normal measure unit you know, of measurement, but uh well, yeah, I mean, if he weigh, if a backstreet boy is 135 pounds and that's what an Altmer weighs, you know, being all skinny and tall. Hmm. It's 50 times 135. <laughs> That's a, it's a lot. That's a big old mount right there. So I don't, yeah, it's like, uh, I don't know how uh, ESO is going to do it and make it canon if it truly is a centrot. Um, but note this. 
They are still known to be the largest feline of all NERN, but the reported measurements may be exaggerated. And that may be how they're going to get away with making uh, the Centrot mount cannon. Um, the Centrot are, they're fully intelligent, but that's, I mean, that's what they do is they're just, they're massive battle cats. So um, they're employed as steeds most often in battle. They're fearsome. They're enormous. They're ridden by other Khajiit, which is weird because if I had another human being on my back, I'd think that was super weird. Um, they were utilized in Valenware during the five-year war. Now, you'll remember this is the war that happened between the Bosmer and the Khajiit, where the Khajiit stole all their wood. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so the way this war started was the Centrot ridden by other Khajiit, went to some certain areas in Valenwood and started hacking down the trees because they knew it was going to elicit a response from the Bosmer who follow the Green Pact where damaging the forest in any way is completely off the table. So I'm not going to go completely go over the five-year war because um, there could be a whole lore lesson on the five-year war. Um, but anyway... The Centrot were employed with the tree cutting teams of the Cathay Rot. Um, when the Cathay Rot is some of the larger, regular size Bosmer or um, Khajiit, um, or they were used to transport equipment. So that's what the, the Centrot were used for. Sench Tigers, which are all over Elder Scrolls Online, are a smaller version of the Centrot and also utilized as battle cats by the Aldmeri Dominion in ESO. Um, I don't have any more for you. I mean, that is our lore lesson on those two types, which we're going to see more of, I'm sure, and learn more of. It's probably going to be lore books and stuff that ha that talk about the different subspecies of Khajiit. And I'm dying to learn more about the Alfiq because they're just super interesting to me that they actually wear the little tiny Alfiq kitty cats. They want other people to know that they're Alfiq. So they actually wear like little masks and, you know, little like bonnets and like puss and boots kind of thing. Yeah. Like body armor and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And they got these little tiny toothpick sized spears they can stick into you. Yeah. yeah. It just cracks me up. It reminds me <laughs> 100% of the little tabby cat from Shrek. Is that oh, it? Oh yeah. 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 Puss and boots. Puss in Boots with the yeah. you just said Puss in Boots, didn't you? Yeah, Puss in Boots. It's been a long show. It's been a long show. <laughs> it's been a long <laughs> it's been a long night. I'm just trying to make it through the through the episode without the internet going out. No, no, oh, good gracious! All right, well, that was good. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Well, oh, I love podcasting. I've been you. looking for you. Oh, that's something I'm supposed to I haven't to seen this guy in a while. Only. Oh. oh, the mail courier. Thanks, buddy. Oh, all right. Well, uh, it's that time where you write us and uh, we respond. And so you did. And so here we are. Uh, first one here is from Anthony. He says, I started an ESO character years ago, but I could not get into the game, possibly because I was soloing due to lack of interested friends. I decided just to stick with Skyrim and Oblivion for my ES fix. After finding your podcast, I've made up my mind to give ESO another go. 
I tried to pick up where I left off and was so incredibly lost. I'm going to roll a new adventurer and strike out for fortune again. Any tips for a basically new player? I'm not versed in MMOs at all, but I've been obsessed with ES since Morrowind. My main interest in ESO is traveling and exploring all the lands I've read about but never been to in an Elder Scrolls game. Cash, yeah. I feel like you're chomping. You want to... Yeah, I got. I definitely have tips. Um, my first tip for you is join a friendly guild. Um, and I'm not just going to plug the Lore Seekers guild here. Um, I'm going to plug some others. Um, because I think there's some really good guilds out there that are that would be willing to help. Now, I assume you're playing on PC if that's the case. Um, obviously, first and foremost, the Lore Seekers Guild on all platforms would be an excellent choice because we will help you with your build. And if you want to just solo, we'll help you solo. And then when you get stuck, we'll help you get past that content as well. Um, so if you have, like if you have questions about your build and stuff to kind of get you going into your your solo experience, then we'd be more than happy to help you there. Another guild that I know is going to give you another really good experience is Kyle Dempster's guild. I don't know what the name of his guild is, and, and I should change that. Um, but I guarantee you, because his podcast is geared toward the new player, so that would be another one to listen to to get some beginner tips on um, kind of where you're at and some basic concepts within the game. He's got a great one for that. Our ESO 101s are kind of geared in that direction too. So you can harken back to our website. You can harken back to our website and it will explain some of that stuff too. But to summarize, join a good guild because they will definitely help you. Another thing is, Hold fast for the changes that are coming to ESO because um, there are some things that are going to be helping you out in number one, finding a guild with the guild finder. And number two, um, the uh, there's going to be some assistance for you in the areas that your character is at and where his quests are. If you've stepped away from the game and you're coming back to the game, this new quest assistance system is going to point you back in, in the direction to get you back on track. So that is another really good thing. So stick it out, but definitely, definitely join a guild. I agree 100%. Start with, starts with a good guild. Um, and also, like Cash was talking about, with the uh, tools that are coming with the Rathstone DLC Update 21, um, Look, you're going to be able to 100% a zone and be able to keep track of it. Even if you step away for months on end, it's going to keep it all tracked together for you. So hopefully that helps. But yeah, get you in a good guild. We'd love to have you at Lore Seekers. You can always apply at loreseekerspodcast.com forward slash guild. But uh, anyway, hope that helps. Uh, next one here. This one's from David. It says, first, I want to tell you how much I love your podcast. I'm a huge Elder Scrolls fan. I started with Oblivion and then, of course, Skyrim. But I tried to get into Elder Scrolls Online and really couldn't. Thanks to you guys, though, I've picked it back up, and I'm loving it. I've listened to every episode and eagerly await more. You guys are responsible for getting me back in. Uh-oh, that's a big shoot <laughs> Unfortunately, I play on PS4, so I can't see you guys in-game, but just hearing you guys talk about it has got me into it. So here's my question. I am visually impaired. 
This usually isn't too much of a problem when I'm playing solo. Uh, solo, I can usually see most things, and I do pretty well at gaming. But I'm a little nervous about playing with others. I've grouped up with some strangers already, but haven't tried to run a dungeon with anyone yet. I'm not sure if I would be able to keep up or to be a healer, but then I wasn't sure if if I'd be able to see when everyone needed to heal. So, I'm looking to be a Magicka DPS. Any advice would be great. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Keep up the good work, Dilly Dilly. Okay, I have a quick, quick, uh, quick tip. David, I want you to come join the Lore Seekers Guild. Thank you very much. David, I want you to come apply at the Lore Seekers Guild because there is a whole team of people in the Lore Seekers Guild in the PlayStation chapter that are very friendly, that they'd be more than happy to help you and run you through things. They're very kind. They're very. It's a very passionate um, chapter full of great people. I want you to come apply. I want you as a member. I need you in Lore Seekers, David. You're my only hope. LoreSeekersPodcast.com yeah. forward slash guild. Come join. Yeah. Jibs and I think alike on most things. Um and I think that is absolutely a good option for you because um, we have that type of community here that it, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you talk about, you know, about the stuff about you being visually impaired. And I mean, I, my heart bleeds for you being in that position, but none of that matters when it comes to our guild That's right. and you having a good experience. We don't care. That doesn't bug us at all. If you're having problems in a dungeon and you miss a heal, who cares? That's right. We'll be fine. Come on in, join us. Yep. Our PS4 folks will treat you very, very well. And um, you have an open invitation from us. That's right. Absolutely. There you go. Oh, good gracious. Ooh. Well, my good friends. Whew. I just take a breath. <laughs> this was my month from hell and it has been capped off with the show from hell (laughs) there were scamps taking a dump on this show from the very beginning oh man look we made it through we've got a show we know the mic was cutting out a little bit there on the on the racial passives good lord i'm just happy we got through (laughs) well everybody thank you all so much for your continued support thank you so much for your continued listenership of the lore seekers podcast and thank you for your patience today because look we know there was audio issues all around it was it was tough but we thank you for listening and being patient with us working through honestly i think it was the cold freaking weather because it's godly ungodly cold and i don't know i've never i've never seen this kind of audio weird thing happening anyway honestly i think it's your dial-up connection I need to upgrade that. It's 1980s. It's past 1986, Look, man, just because I rock a single hamster wheel internet doesn't mean anything. Clearly, I need to upgrade to two hamsters. I know. Jibs is like, hang on, dude. Uh, My wife just picked up the phone. I lost my connection. (laughs) (laughs) Your Comcast is... Your Netscape is not working well tonight. Hmm. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We appreciate you. Thank you for your reviews. We have officially hit 100 iTunes reviews for the United States. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. For every five-star review, we give you a shout-out and show you some love on the show. And 100 reviews later, here we are with Slightly Salty 24 from the United States. says, what an absolutely fantastic show. I've only just recently gotten into into listening to podcasts, but the production value on this one is unmatched. Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) 
until tonight. <laughs> Absolutely incredible Sorry, to listen salty. to as a new player or just someone who needs a refresher on the lore and some in-game tips. Five out of five, hands down. Well, thank you, Salty. I hope you still still, still like us after this one, man. Thank you, sir. Well, Salty came to our he came to our stream before we had to kick everybody out of the stream. It's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Uh, Big Bob1490 from the U.S. says, Hey there, Seekers. I've been listening to you guys now since basically the beginning. Love the show more and more each episode, especially the new streams. I drive truck for a living, so I often listen to you guys while driving, but really like listening to you while in-game. Helps me really get deep into Tamriel and forget about the stress of the real world. Love you guys and never stop being you. That's awesome. Oh, that makes me happy. Good. I'm glad we can uh, we can be your companions and... Uh... Bring Tamriel to you in your truck while you're driving. So drive safe, and thanks for doing what you do. There you go. Well, good friends, thank you again for all the reviews. You can always call us at 765-382-6961. You can email us, loreseekerspodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to join the guild, you can do so by going to loreseekerspodcast.com forward slash guild. We're coming up on uh, about 800 total members of the community in our Discord uh discord uh, server but uh you can uh always uh head on over to that url lordseekerspodcast.com forward slash guild go to the very bottom after you've read a little bit about us download discord join our server and then at the apply to guild channel type slash apply you can find this show wherever podcasts are available this includes spotify itunes stitcher and all kinds of many more wherever it's free that's where we're at after you're done here, be sure and go listen to the other awesome ESO podcasts, and that includes the Tenants Podcast, Tales of Tamriel, Sons of Sithis, Written un- in Uncertainty, and many more. Thank you, everybody, for your continued support. Thank you for uh, following us on Twitter. You can follow myself at JibsIRL, Cash at Loreseeker, Cash with a K, and most importantly, the show at Loreseekers Cast. Thank you all so much, and we'll be back next week, and we hope... Good Lord, we hope the internet's better. I don't know what's going on tonight, but good Lord. Thank you yep. all very much. Follow us on Instagram at Loreseekers. Yay! Dilly dilly. It was an unusual day in Hughes Bane. The typical hot, dry climate of the desert gave way to a dismal, coastal influence that threatened an inclement downpour. The clouds were dark and ominous, as were our moods as we approached the mining cave. We had traveled under the cover of darkness. A group of twelve would-be liberators, all clad in battle attire and ready for a fight. Although our approach was uneventful, our entry into the cave system wouldn't prove to be as simple. There were four guards posted at the entry to the mine. With the rail system coming from the innards of the cave, terminating at a loading area with wagons near the mouth of the cave. There were plenty of crates and rail carts in the area, perfect to cover our approach. But the guards would prove troublesome. In addition, there were about 10 to 15 miners, maybe slaves, working in the area near the guards. It was most likely going to be an issue working our way past the sentries without injuring any innocents. We just have to be as careful as possible. I motioned for four of our agents to join Jibs, Eagle, Flesh, and I at the head of the column. We had just positioned ourselves in an overlook position, 
right at the mouth of the cave. Directed by Gianna, this was the location that she used when she originally reconned the area. Dawn had come. The sun wouldn't be making an appearance today, though, as the thick cloud cover had ruined its plans to shine upon our little rescue mission. Stealth and quickness would be key to get us into the mines without alerting any additional guards. We knew the slaves would be alerted as soon as we struck, but how they would react was yet to be seen. Would they try and help us? Or would they turn on us, for fear of retaliation from Elkrabazrim? That was a risk we had to take. We were in position and poised to strike. Our mission was clear. Our focus was unbroken. Until it was. There was a rumble in the sand beneath our feet. We all felt it. It was unmistakable. Several confused looks were exchanged within our raid party, who were all in offensive stances, arrows knocked, positioned to pounce. White knuckles on bow and stave handles loosened as the rumbling grew strong. Trying to remain in control, I motioned for our party to stay down and keep quiet, as Jibs and I elongated our necks to peek about for any sign of coming trouble. Above the rumbling, a harsh, rhythmic sound of an animal running at full speed on a gravel road caught our attention. Whatever was running toward us was close, but from our vantage point, it was impossible to see. The rumbling grew louder. The approaching four-legged beast grew closer. I inched closer to the edge of the rock outcropping above the cave's mouth. Looking down, I could see the guards and the slaves taking notice of the encroaching rumble. I was also able to see just a small piece of the horizon beyond. What I saw gave me a start. A dust cloud was forming from the general direction of the rumble. Whatever was headed in our direction and causing the roar of the ground was moving quickly, and it was large. We needed to abort. I quickly scurried down the rock face to our original position to alert the others. But now, the sound of the four-legged beast in the opposite direction was no longer a sound. It appeared. Over the sand berm that we had entered from burst a tiny rider atop a sizable direwolf. The wolf slid to a stop and its rider sprung from the beast and landed in the sand with acrobatic ease. The rider was a female Bosmer. She was clearly out of breath. Bretta, Silvana, I'm Reliquary, Valenwood agent. We gotta go. It's, it's a trap. The Bosmer spat in a panic, but the rumble was upon us. Jibs and I had no time to process what Bretta had said. Fifty mounted horsemen had appeared, all clad in desert battle attire similar to the ancient sword singers. Swords drawn and arrows at the ready, the mob was about to descend on our raid party. We had no choice but to flee. Never expecting attack from the rear before our raid had even started, we were trapped. To stand toe-to-toe with this mob would have been futile, as their numbers far outweighed our own. With no escape route from the hell that was coming our way, our only choice was to make it to the cave. All eyes were on me. With grit in my teeth and determination in my eyes, I gave the command to our team. Follow the original plan and do it quickly. I motioned for Breda Silvana to follow us. 
Go, Brax! She slapped her dire wolf on the hind end, and he raced away to safety, as she had commanded him to do so many times before prior to battle. Arrows flew with precision from our position and struck four guards below in the chest, neck, and head. They had suddenly become no factor. We motioned for our agents to descend to the cave, and they hastily followed Jibs and I in a tight column with all sides covered. Surprised slaves dropped their picks, backed up, and provided no resistance, though I did catch one grinning quite wide as we ran by toward the entrance of the cave. He seemed pleased to watch his captors fall. We encountered no other sentries at the entrance of the cave. Skillfully stepping over the bleeding corpses of the downed mercenaries, we entered the cave's mouth into a foyer littered with boulders, carts, and wooden building material. Torches lit the walls, and the command was given by Jibs to secure the door to the cave. Our soldiers stowed their weapons and got to work securing the door. Carts were placed against the door and loaded with as many boulders as we could muscle in a moment's notice. It didn't take long for the horde outside to reach the door. They were hell-bent on pursuing us, it seemed, as they had set the cracking on the door from the outside with gusto. The door wasn't budging, but we knew it would only be a temporary deterrent. If they wanted in, they would eventually get in. We motioned for the party to advance into the winding depths of the cave in hopes of finding a defendable position somewhere further in. As we tactically moved through the tunnel system, we noticed something quite apparent. Not only were we not encountering any resistance or fleeing slaves but the banging and clanking on the cave's door had stopped. It was only then that the brutal realization set in. Bretta had been right. Elker had set a trap, and we had just walked right into it.